Hey everybody, we are Robert, Martin, and Francis, and this is Snakes and Otters, pointless discussion of eternal questions. Get ready, we're about to live in your head rent-free. Welcome back to Snakes and Otters. I am Martin. I'm Robert. And I'm Francis. Tonight we are talking about one of the best uh, types of episodes we have, it's Our Heroes. So it's episode 69, and... <coughs> <laughs> Uh, I was wondering if that would get past anything. Uh, of course, it wouldn't. We're guys, you know, because all guys, we're twelve-year-old kids. We're twelve-year-old. Yeah. So you, you say, it's, yeah, it's, it's possible. Or, we we or have Beaver. a little chuckle. Yes, yeah. that's right. Or it's three-way. Then you, it's a laugh. Yeah, there's a whole so, conversation yes, about that, yes. and it wasn't even dirty. Sexual innuendo is funny at times. Sorry. Yes. So it's anyways. So episode sixty-nine, our heroes. Now we've done a lot of different people as heroes. They've all been real persons. Mm-hmm. Today, or tonight, depending on when you're listening, we are going to tackle our first fictional hero. And to me, he is the embodiment of the fictional hero. Uh, he's the embodiment of what it means to be a hero. And that is Steve Rogers, Captain America. Yeah, amen. Hallelujah. Now, by now, anybody who doesn't know who Captain America is, they're living under a rock. Mm-hmm. Because he is, along with Iron Man and Thor, although mostly Iron Man, because Thor's not quite second string in, in the movies, but he's not as big as Iron Man and Cap. So they are the, the two pivotal characters in the Marvel movies. And Captain America is has probably one of the best backgrounds for a hero, mm-hmm. in my opinion. Yeah. Because he started out as that scrawny little kid. He was the kid who was getting sand kicked in his face at the beach and getting beat up, right? right? Only he was so bad that he didn't even get a girl, you know, have the, the muscle guy take away from him. Yeah. All you kids that don't understand what I'm talking about is an ad in comics from years and years ago. Oh, yeah. 60s and 70s. Charles Atlas. Charles, Charles Atlas, Atlas ads were in every comic book ever published in the late 60s, early 70s. That's right. So Steve Rogers, he, he has this humble beginning. He's an orphan by the time he's, uh, you know, in his early teens, late teens. Uh, so he... and. It, his background is that he, he grew up in the Depression. Mm-hmm. Right? He came of age during the worst time uh, economically in American history. And he has very humble beginnings. But he always, throughout all of his incarnations, has had the heroic outlook. And that, to me, is he's there to defend the little guy. Mm-hmm. The guy who can't defend himself. To me, that is the epitome of heroic in the big sense. There's lots of ways you can be heroic. It's a great American character because it it echoes, say, a Washington. You're nobody, then you're somebody. And instead of looking for revenge, he decides to be a protector. And Washington had that same decision to make. I'm now the victor of a war. What do I do? He decided, no, we're not going to go down this road of revenge. We're going to go down the road of building a future. Right. And Captain America is the same character. Now, listeners, I was going to do this episode under protest. <laughs> <laughs> because, yes, I, I really, to me, it was very meaningful to look for the real examples of heroism, um, you know, throughout history. And the people who have been very meaningful to us, people who appeal to us. But then I started thinking through, well, you know what? 
Uh, I always consider myself to be from the Josie Wales School of Diplomacy. <laughs> and uh, we've talked about how much uh, Jean-Luc Picard yeah. is an influential character to us. Sure, yes. So why can't a, a fictional character be a hero? We're, we're influenced by these characters. If you're a reader, if you're someone who loves fiction and, and reads, if you're someone who loves movies and you love the characters in them, you are influenced by those creations. You're being influenced by the writers sure. and directors of those of those uh, properties, but you're being influenced, and hopefully in a positive way. And Captain America is that influence. Yeah. Well, that's, you're correct because uh, here's and uh, and Martin will know definitely. I was kind of the opposing viewpoint of his because I, I really lobbied hard for doing this. For the very reason you point out is because real people are often, as we well know, complex. Thank you, Trevor Slattery. And they often let us down in many ways. Uh, there's no perfect real person. We find some really great ones, of course. We've talked about many of them. But they're all flawed in some way. But fiction doesn't have to be that way. And Steve Rogers is definitely, uh, when he's written well, he may have a few flaws, but they're very minor. I mean, right. very rarely. Uh, is that out there? And and I will say for our listeners too, we're talking about Steve Rogers as a concept. We're going to talk both about the Marvel Universe version of him, but also the Marvel Comics version of the him, comic, which yeah, is kind of the that's the source material. That's really where the heroism is found. Now, let me say, uh, Chris Evans has done a fantastic job. MCU's done a fantastic job, and they got him right. They did. It was the, a, it was uh, a the, proper uh, reflection, and all the things that you just talked about. Mm-hmm. Uh, Robert, about what makes him good, were in especially that first movie, uh, yes. first Avenger. Uh, the uh, the basis were the put Johnston in. were the directors. What are Joe those? Johnston was the director of yes. of um, Captain America, of, the, first the first Avenger. First that Avenger. is correct. Yes. Yeah. Now mm-hmm. he's that's the only one he did. Yeah. But he, that laid the foundation, and every single director who's directed after him. Uh, that's both in the Avengers movies and in the other uh, two movies uh, that were his. Although Civil War was basically Avengers 2.0, for goodness sakes. Yeah. Uh, right, right. It, it was it, it was titled one of his movies. It was sort of one of his, but it's really more than that. But they all got him right, which is astounding. Yeah. It uh, is because he's a difficult character to get right in this day and age. Because he could be Captain Sectimonious if you're not careful. He could be. So, yeah, Joe Johnson did a fantastic job in uh, yeah. First Avenger. Because you're right, he did lay out everything that is essential. But before we get to the Marvel Universe, cinematic universe, let's talk about the origins of the man. Yes. Right. So, yes. you cannot talk about Captain America and truly understand him without understanding the World War II origin. So, Simon and Kirby, Joe Simon, Jack Kirby, they are the creators of Captain America. And they, at the time, they were the editor and art director, basically, at Timely Comics, which eventually becomes Marvel Comics. And back then, creators didn't really own their own stuff. It was very rare that you had any kind of work-for-hire situation where they had an interest in the comics. So even though they only did the first ten issues together, uh, they're still the ones who laid the groundwork. So Captain America, in the very first issue, is shown punching out Hitler on the cover. And that iconic scene is done in the movie. Sure, yeah. Mm-hmm. They even show the comic itself at the very end. And they end show the comic. And it's a very meaningful thing 
because Kirby and I believe also Simon are from Jewish backgrounds. They are both Jewish. They, they were exactly they right. were both pra- practicing Jews. So they it wasn't even just you know cultural. Oh, yes, yes. Jacob, Jacob, Jacob Kurtzoff was Jack Kirby's Kurtzberg. Real, Kurtzberg, that's right. Was his was his real name? That's right. And he he, he anglicized it because it was hard to get work. Uh, at exactly. The time. So they got a lot of grief because remember th- this came out in 1940. Uh, late 40 to 1941. Yeah, we weren't even at the war. We weren't at war yet, and there were still a lot of German sympathizers in the in the country. And, you know, of course, there's always a lot of anti-Jewish uh, thought in the country at this time as well. Sure. Uh, yeah, there still is, but it's what we have now is nothing compared to what it was then. Yeah, it was almost systemic in certain locations. Yes. So, they got, I mean, they got death threats, literal death threats. And Jack Kirby... You know, he's the kind of guy that was not going to stand up to a bully. You know, he grew up in the streets of um, Brooklyn, I think it was. Brooklyn or the Bronx? It was Brooklyn. Uh, he, he, Steve Rogers was Brooklyn. Well, yes. Jack Kirby was the Bronx. Okay, okay. Could not remember. Uh, like Ben Grimm was the Bronx. Yes. Yeah. So, who, is, who is basically Jack Kirby projecting, projecting himself yes. into the role. So there's a great story about Jack Kirby. And this tells you the, the kind of person Kirby is. Because Kirby is really much associated with the character now, because he, he's had more creative work with him. Um, there's a story about um, you know New York City is where all this stuff happens. Uh, the comic industry is based, and Kirby is working at some company. Might have been timely, I don't remember. And a guy comes around, saying, "You guys, you're going to use our towel service." He's like, "Where do you got a towel service?" No, you're going to use ours. Everybody in this building uses ours. So it's shakedowns, mob, right? Yeah. So Kirby, who's like you know five six maybe he was he was small guy very small five four was probably uh, more mm-hmm. likely what it was. He goes up to this guy who's like six feet, yeah. so a good eight inches on him, and gives him all kinds of grief. I mean, he was ready to take his coat off and roll up his sleeves and beat the crap out of this guy because he, he told the the guy who was running the office like you keep, you got to stand up for those guys because if you let them push push you around, they'll always push you around. They'll you know you'll be under their thumb. So Kirby made this guy back off. He fought the mob and won. <laughs> All right, just on the force of his own belief and personality. Post-war? What was right? No, pre-war. Pre-war. See, pre-war. Because one of the things you have to understand about Kirby too, a lot of his formation too was during the war because he was actually he actually saw combat. He did. Uh, he was known for being a scout too, even though he was just a grunt. Because of his art talents, he could go forth, see enemy positions because he was in Europe. And draw things out in a legible, easy to understand fashion. So yep. uh, he actually put his artistic talent to work uh, for, for the, the country. Yeah. yeah. So that's their background, and all of this patriotism because they were both proud to be Americans, you know, mm-hmm. even though the grief they got being Jews and the hatred they got, the death threats that didn't matter. They saw what was good in the country. Yeah, there's flaws. There are more flaws then than there are now. There's going to be you know more flaws now than there will be in the future, but. They saw what was good about the country, what we aspired to be. And all of that gets rolled up into Captain America. Yeah. And he fights Nazis. That's what he's created to do, is to fight Nazis. He wears the flag. Right? You don't get much more patriotic than Captain America. And he goes to war with other characters. You know, the whole thing is, even back then, there were team-ups, there were teams, and all of that. After the war... Superheroes weren't quite as popular, so kind of that peters out. Right. And eventually, he's brought back in the early '60s to Marvel, when Timely has become Marvel. 
and he's brought back as the same character. He's not rebooted. That's right. one of the great things because all of the yeah. Silver Age characters from DC are kind of rebooted versions. In many, in some, most cases, really rebooted. Yeah. Batman, uh, Super, uh, Superman, and Wonder Woman are sort of rebooted. They're, yeah, they're, there's continuity there, but they're, they're really the only ones that survive. They were yeah. uh, most of the, and part of this was just because the the way the world changed is. Um, they, the superheroes were passe after the war. Yeah. Uh, the, uh, and horror took a ascendancy for a long time. And then you had the implosion, basically, in the mid-50s uh, uh, with the book The Seduction of the Innocent, where uh, all of a sudden you've got hearings, congressional hearings, about how comic books are creating what they call juvenile delinquency, which the the, the entire term is a, a mis, a unbelievable. You would never hear that word today. Uh, it just kind of well, shows the anachronism that it was. But, you know... In a way, to, to get a, to rabbit hole for a second, we do that. Yeah, that's no different than, in, in my mind, um, the crusades against violence and sexual situations in video games. Absolutely, because we say the same things These, about Grand Theft Auto. That's correct. These right? things keep coming back, and they come from perhaps a, a pure motive of wanting the world to be a better place. But they almost always take the form of a witch hunt. Yeah, and, and that and that's censorship the issue with that. extreme, yeah. and that's and that's but that was kind of where all this came from. And Captain America was almost a reach back to something pure and good. Not reach around, not reach, around reach back to something good and pure. Realizing you know we did this once and it was pretty darn good. Yeah, uh, and that was and that was Stan Lee and Jack Kirby together. Kind of said, well, you know, we got to got this guy on the shelf here. He's remembered. He was one of the more successful that we had in yeah. our in our stable. Let's bring him back, and and you're right. And I'll give Lee credit for a lot of that, where he he didn't he brought the same character back and kept all that backstory. Yes, that is essential to understanding the character of Captain America. That's one of the reasons he he deepened the character, because otherwise he could have been just a showboating patriot. Right. He is actually now a man out of time. Yes, and, and that they is do a that depth. Of yes. That he gets. And they do that very well in the movies. That whole man out of time. That thing. is correct, and that, because that because that was so core yes. to to why he became that was six. Really dead. That was a, a part and, of it. And I almost think well. it was not. It was kind of accidental. It was a way to bring the character back, but I don't think they realized. The, I don't know. You'd have to ask Stan Lee, and of course you can't. But I don't think, I think they, they seized on it pretty early. Though. Yeah, they, they, yeah. If you look at those, to realize we created something, recreated something better here than the original ever was, and let's roll with it because some of the best stories, if you read Captain America's, and he's got. Hundreds upon hundreds of issues in yes. you know the not since 1963 when uh, he was revived, both on his own and with the Avengers and wherever because he's a very popular character. He's always done best when that comes out. Now it wanes a little bit. Uh, by the time you get into the 90s, 2000s, and today, it's not as big a deal because he's acclimated. And they have allowed him to grow a little well, bit. Well, yeah, you can't play that man out of time for 40 years. That's correct. It doesn't, it, it, <laughs> it sooner or later, work. it runs out of gas. But it, but it, nevertheless, it forms him. And he's a really fantastic character. Let me give you one of my favorite moments of his uh, uh, exemplar of, of how he is. And you've got your own, I know. We all do. But there's a moment in Civil War. You remember the one? Up, uh, no, I'm no, I'm not, the, the comic books. Oh, in the comics, in the comic Civil War. That's correct. Uh, they didn't. They didn't steal this in the movie. I almost wish they had because they almost came close. Uh, Winter, Winter Soldier had a little bit of this, where basically he's told he's in a helicarrier and he tells he's told you will sign these uh, these accords and he says no, I'm not going to do that. And what does he do when they try to capture him? Uh, this is kind of like what the elevator scene in Winter Soldier is kind of stolen from this. He takes it. They try to overwhelm him. Of course, they fail. He busts out of the helicarrier, 
5,000, 35,000 feet in the air and manages to survive by taking over a plane. Right. And, right. and, and making his way down. Well, Winter Soldier steals that scene. They remade it a little bit. That, to me, is one of the most badass scenes that's ever <laughs> been done. And I really am, I mean, they wisely picked the right thing to kind of modify and adapt. It's one of my favorite scenes of all the Marvel Universe is that time. You know, he gets on the elevator and... You know, Does anybody want to get Does off? Does anybody want to get off? That's exactly yeah, right. Yeah, and, and it's exactly well, you know, the same thing. That's, Martin, you've been listening to us ramble, so I'm going to give you the opportunity to jump in here uh, with, with anything. Because, you know, Francis and I could go on and on about this. No, it's good. It's good. Well, and my comic book period is a little briefer than your all's. Um, but I do remember, you know, the the... Kind of that Bronze Age of the Avengers. Um, Cap was not the leader; it was Stark, yes. and Iron Man, and it's gone back and forth, right? Yeah, over and over. But it's the the part that I like about Cap, both in that era of comic books and in the MCU, is he rubs off on others. Oh yes, that's they very don't true. view him as like this sanctimonious goof man out of time. You know, Stark had pushes that a little. You know, this is the guy my dad was all big about. But then they there's a little they, jealousy on that. Yeah, too, they they finally kind of come to understand. I will always be able to count on this man. He is the real deal. Yeah, and then it you know all the other characters too began to. Mm-hmm. You, um, there's a great scene. Ultron, Age of Ultron was just on, and that great scene towards the end. Um, with uh, the train and caps yeah. with uh, Wanda and um, uh, Black Widow. No, well, Black Widow's disappeared now. That's right. Yeah, yeah. And but he's on the train, and uh, Hawkeye has the cradle right. with, the, with vision. the vision in it. Yeah, yeah. And he says, "Well, Stark will take care of it." And Wanda says, "You know, Ultron can't tell the difference between saving the world and destroying it. Where do you think he gets that?" From yeah. Stark, from you Stark. Know. Yeah, that's right. So yeah. that's that. That's that window into, you know, Stark could be the leader, but there's a path he may take you down that doesn't work. Cap, you can always trust to find the right path to take you down. And, and that's a and great it, observation. It rubs off on the other characters, even though the, the the twins have that reason to hate. They're now moving to the side of the light. Right. Not just because they've seen the extremity of where Ultron is, but they've also now been with Cap, and they understand, you know, that Ultron's way is not the way to fix the issues. Right. Well, you know, know, philosophically, because we have to go there at some point. That's right. Um, Somebody like Cap is best understood when you have something to juxtapose him against. The good... What is true and good is almost always best understood when juxtaposed what is dark and evil. Right. And that's what's happened there. Yeah. She has seen the darkness of Ultron, and that helps her realize the light that he and represents. And sometimes it's hard to figure out the dark. It is. Because, again, with Stark doesn't see Ultron as dark. Well, well not right initially. I mean, yeah. yeah. Right. You know, it's it, well, this is the guy that's, like he says, eventually they're going to roll up to the, to the door of the club, and what do we do? Ultron was supposed to prevent that. Sure. Yeah, and that's that's one of the brilliant things about how this works is that, and we haven't really talked about this, Cap really works well under all circumstances. But 
putting him with the right villain makes a little bit of a difference. Yes. Before we go there, yes. uh, a couple of things I want to make sure we cover. Because uh, it's essential to understanding why he's a hero to me. Yes, yes. Uh, and why he works so well in these situations we've talked about. So one of the things that I think is a truism, no matter what, is that there are certain things that are always good, always true. There are certain universal principles that every person should be able to aspire to. Right? Universal truths. Mm-hmm, right. Now, obviously, as Catholics, we're going to believe that. That's right. Um, he embodies those universal goods in so many ways. You know, those morals. He is the most moral, ethical man mm-hmm. in comics. But again, he's not sanctimonious about it. Correct, yes. He is moral and ethical by what he does, just as much as by what he says. He's not one for grandstanding, although he gives a great speech. He's a great speech right. speechmaker. Yes. But it's always off the cut. It's not to manipulate. No. And it's not even necessarily meant to inspire, but it always comes off that but way. That's does, why if yeah. you get a great writer, you yeah. can write good cap speeches... Oh, man, you got gold there. That, that, the exactly cap speeches right. are always, this is the course I'm going to take. You make your own decision whether to follow that course or not. But I'm going whether anybody else does or not. One of the great things about him uh, is playing to another fictional heroic figure um, that listeners may be aware of. I don't know if you guys are. Um, so one of the things I was thinking about, you talk about Cap in a group in the Avengers and how he makes everybody better. He's like the best player on your basketball team, mm-hmm. he makes everybody else around him better. Right? And that's part of the essence of him. Yeah. It's he not is, important to score 60. It's more important to have the 15 assists. Right. He, and he is, you know, it, because it's all towards defeating the villain, achieving that goal, which is you know, either win the game or, uh, you know, success against save, the villain. Save the world, baby. Save the world. And that is one of the things that, uh, you know, he expect he, while he while he doesn't say you have to follow me. After he lays it out, he puts it back on you and expects you to make the right choice. And the only way you'll ever disappoint him is by not following. Yeah, by, by making the wrong choice. Yeah, happens occasionally. Now you may make mistakes, but that won't be what disappoints him. Yeah. You know, it'll be choosing not to follow. And he just he expects more of you. And he holds you to a higher standard without even telling you that. And that's a trait of another great heroic figure, which is Honor Harrington. I suspected you were going to go there, yes. Okay. Uh, Honor Harrington is a character in uh, David Weber's uh, Honorverse. Uh, she's a captain, uh, then eventually an admiral, uh, of uh, a, a, a Navy, Space Navy, uh, that is basically a fictional representation of the United Kingdom. Even the Queen is Elizabeth. Uh, Imagine that. Imagine that. Um, And they're fighting against... uh, 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 Oh, crap. I'm blanking. Uh, They're fighting against a... uh, um, The People's Republic. That's what it is. And it is basically the French after Robespierre takes over. Mm -hmm. And so that's the... So it's basically... um, It's Wellington... Uh-huh. versus Napoleon is oh, the, yeah. is the it, framework. In many respects, this is very similar to a British Navy uh, uh, move, uh, series like uh, Jack Aubrey, Patrick O'Brien, or uh, yeah. uh, others. So Master and Commander. Master and Commander stuff, stuff exactly. Uh, so, Alan Lurie does a really great series, yeah. too. Uh, so, on her Harrington, in time. that's the thing about her, because she's a great leader and great uh, 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 
heroic figure because she's willing to sacrifice everything for the greater good. And she she expects the best out of her people. And that's the only way to disappoint her, is to not give your best. And I think Cap's that same way. Mm-hmm. And so that's the kind of guy that makes you want to follow him. Because not only is he a great heroic figure, but he's a great leader. Yes. And, you know, I think all that that comes out so well in in the movie, in the movies, uh, both in uh, First Avenger and in Endgame. So right. in First Avenger, there's that scene with uh, Dr. Erskine where they are talking about uh, the procedure the next day. Yeah, sitting on the, on the, on the bench, on the couch. Right. Yeah. Sitting on the couch with the... Uh... Schnapps. 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 That's right, yes. And of course, he's about to drink. He's like, oh, you can't have that. You're having a procedure tomorrow. I was like, what about you? I can't have it. I'm not having a procedure. That's right. That's great. Oh, yeah. Stanley Tucci did a great job in it with a small role, actually. Yeah. he's not in the movie that long, but wow. But he was very memorable. Yes. Um, but he makes a point about what makes Steve Rogers the perfect Captain America. Yes. And that is that the little guy who knows what's right is a better person to be given the super soldier serum than the big guy is just a bully because like anything money power position it amplifies what's inside you that's right so what you do with power as a bully is exactly what you did when you were nobody you push people around what the little guy does is willing to stand up for anybody who needs to be stood up for does that with power it's a crucial lesson that Erskine doesn't know until Schmidt Right. You that is correct. He, that's right. From Red Skull. Which is... Real, if you want to talk about a classic villain, you're going to get there, I know, soon, too. Yeah. But. Well, he's the epitome of the, the Captain America villain because he is the... You know, he, he's he's the stand-in for Hitler. Right. Because uh, you can't really have him literally fight Hitler every every issue. You know, punching him out on the cover is one thing because that scene didn't actually happen in the comic. Oh, well, I'm telling you, though, the, my favorite line from the first Avenger oh, yes. is, is when they, when he's free and the guy says, "Do you know what you're doing?" Yeah, I've knocked out I knocked out Adolf Hitler over two hundred times. Yeah, I mean it's a brilliant tongue in cheek for us fans. We all gonna go ah, but it works for anybody that's seen it. Yeah. It does. So, you know, and that's just him. He knows the right thing to do, and he doesn't care about the consequences to himself, and works out all right in the end yes. because he is so good. Yeah. Now, and you're right, the Schmidt is the, the exact opposite. If you have no value to Schmidt, you have no value at all. Right. Well, he's the, the perfect villain in, in this sense because it is the it is the it truly is just the exact opposite. Captain America, Steve Rogers, he believes in my favorite Catholic principle, the dignity, the inherent dignity of the human person. That's right. And it's obvious in everything he does when he talks to people, when he interacts with them. Schmidt, the Red Skull, believes in the opposite of that. He only believes in the dignity of himself. Other people are not real to him. It's interesting you say that because that very scene that when Steve Rogers goes behind the lines, he goes to rescue someone, Bucky Barnes in particular, but everyone in general. And that's what he does. He says, you know, I'll find as many as I can. Meet me in the clearing. Schmidt, at the very same moment, and this is Joe Johnston's brilliance, he's juxtaposing to these moments, is as these men break out, Schmidt is all of a sudden blowing everything up and uh, uh, Zola next to him he goes what are you doing he says our fortunes are outmatched boom you know we're, we're done we're blowing it up and we're out of here uh, there are always more workers uh, uh, um, uh, Herzola Herzola that's yeah. right and that's when he and, she's, and that's when he goes up and gets in his little 
little weird ass cool plane and he says what about me here here you go don't not the scratch doctor and gives him the, the rolls the car, that yeah. is such a Jack Kirby thing that that's plane with the rotating that is, uh, oh yeah myself. well yeah. in that car too yeah. that's right yeah um so let me uh, interrupt you here for a moment, though, because we have not discussed bourbon yet. We have not. Well, you know, Cap's not a drinker. Cap's not a drinker. Yeah, it's correct. He's One, it doesn't do him any good. It doesn't do him any good. Which yeah, I which thought is, was brilliant in that movie. It he was. talks about, you know, he says, I can't get drunk. It's just, but he's also not a drinker because it's just not his nature. He doesn't need that uh, release that so many people see alcohol. Uh, but he also probably been too poor to do much of it before he became Cap. It wouldn't have taken much to knock him on his ass when he was that yeah. scrawny little kid. Yeah, 90 pound ass. But I would just uh, mention we are recording in person today. Yes, listeners. Oh, how could we forget? In That's right. Studio the, F, as I call it. But uh, yes, Francis. The, the top floor of the Baxter building. Yes, we are, which is which is new. It's a relocation into much better quarters than, than where we were before in its basement. The, the new Four Freedoms Plaza, as That's, it were. That's exactly <laughs> right. Yes, and uh, enjoying some really, really great bourbon. Yes. Wow, I just actually took my first sip. Uh, of course, we've been talking a lot. Yes. Uh, and Robert, you've brought an amazing bourbon we've never had before, and I am in love. So this is Knob Creek, Creek Smoked Maple, and it is really good. I, I was not sure what it was going to be, how, you know, because when you start adding flavors to bourbon, it can get tricky. Yeah. I've had some folks that uh, you, my brother speaks of it often. He says the watchword is don't fruit the beer. Right. Don't add something fruity to uh, to some of these alcoholic drinks. I, I kind of like it usually. Uh, unfortunately, maybe that might be the minority, but damn, it's good. Right. It depends on how, how well it's done. If it and blends as opposed to overpowers. Correct. Yes. This is a good blend to me. Yes, yes. Exactly I mean, because right. maple should work anyway, because that's what you're hoping to pull out of those barrels, is that uh, that little bit of that sweetness from that uh, the charred oak. Um, so I'm doing... Uh, another glass of Old Tub. I am hoping to partake of Knob Creek Smoked Maple the next time we gather. But uh, This is... Um, we've talked a lot about the Old Tub, so pardon yes. me if I Go ahead. expound upon this. So, this is... Um, uh, it's very smooth. It very is. Very smooth. Uh, it's a relatively inexpensive bottle. I got a 750 milliliter bottle. I it was a 750 uh, yep. for $32, I think it was. Yeah, well, Knob Creek is a very reliable. It's a little ex- it's a little more expensive than your bargain basement. Well, it depends. They have some lower end. Right, yeah. But this yeah. is this Beautiful. is mid-range. But for really, I think they could charge more for this. I really 30, do. 32 is, for, for small batch stuff, 32 is very reasonable. Right. Yes. Well, I mean, there's a sweetness to this. There's I was sweetness, but there's still a burn that is very, it's a smooth burn. It's not harsh at all. It reminds I mean, me of a pancake in a little way. <laughs> but in a good way. In a good way. Uh, yeah, yes. That's what it should, though. That, no, that's that right. Little it's bit, maple. That it's little the, bit of that maple should remind you of the, again, the, like the sage in a breakfast sausage. Yeah, and, I was just going to say, I'm not a day drinker, but this could be a breakfast bourbon <laughs> with your sausage and pancakes. Oh, that's a very interesting way. <laughs> well, I wonder yeah. what it would taste like in a, a shot of it in coffee. Oh, I bet this would be good. You wouldn't need a whole lot, just a, a, right. Because if you like your, if you like your coffee sweet, yeah, just a little bit, drop into black coffee and then have a hearty breakfast. I bet it would be solid. I bet it would. I think that sounds like a call for us to go eat breakfast somewhere together. You just bring that. There you go. There <laughs> that's you go. Right. Yeah, well, uh, black coffee all around. No, we've got our own sweetener. Thank that's, you. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> no, we don't need cream and sugar. We yes. got our own. Yep. I got, I you got turn away. Yes. Yeah. If I were going to mix anything with this bourbon, it'd probably be coffee. 
There you uh, go. Because you know we 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 tend to like our bourbons straight. We, we like the bourbons that are uh, higher end that are not mixing bourbons. Some bourbons, while they are still good because they're bourbons, uh, are better. Not say better, but they're okay to mix with. Oh yeah, okay, okay to mix. Yes, Makers is your favorite mixing bourbon. I recall. Yes. Um, now the forty six, I think, is not a mixing bourbon. I think right, that's because exactly. that's a that's a higher end. Uh, basil is not a mixing no. bourbon. No. Uh, Oh, to, I don't know. We didn't try it. I didn't. I haven't tried it mixed. Did well, you know, you, Martin. No, I, yeah. I, don't, that I don't know. That's no, that's one that because it's got a bit of a bite to it. I don't know that I'd want to mix that, but it, you know, but it's hard to say. I mean, and you know, the old tub is is for its price point is really good. It is it's good it's, for twenty dollar a bottle. Yeah, it's so. it's yeah. a very mature adult taste. It's got a little got a little heft to it. Got a little bite to it. It's a little bit more. Yeah. It's it's not it's not it's not a. A penny waste. No, no, uh, no. We, we don't drink. It's not as much waste. of a, a bite as the Devil's Cut, right? Yeah, um, that's what, that might be the highest bite we've gotten yeah. so far. Uh, which is still not. It's not a you know make you cough, cough up your lungs kind of a thing. It's just you know a bit more of a wake you up kind of a thing. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm really fond of this this uh, maple here. This is really good. Uh, you done it's good. Pleasant sir. surprise. It's, that's correct. That's pleasant uh, surprise. I'm very very pleased to to, to, tr- to share this with you because. Uh, it was unexpected. It was kind of just came right out of Well, nowhere. we've been doing a lot of the same bourbons of late well, that's right. during COVID. I kind of, I kind of agree here. with you. We wanted yeah, to, to we bring were, some variety back. We weren't yeah. able to share, so we were all slurping down, working on those same bottles for months. Yeah, exactly. That's right. Now we're actually making our way through. Yeah, this is kind of good, like finding somebody in the middle of an ice flow in 1963. You know, exactly. Swing right. us back around. You never know what you might find out there floating around with the ice. That's right. We got to call Fury. That's right. So... The other thing I want to talk about with with Cap, uh, because this is where I think the movies get the the uh, the heroic bits right, uh, not just with the character of Cap, but yeah. you know, Doug from comic comic book world. Oh yes, as we know, uh, he he as my kids call him, uh, comic book world Doug, uh, comic Doug. I suppose because there's another friend I have uh, was Doug. We met at Burger King every once in a while to, to shoot the breeze, and the kids would play in the, the kitty area. So he was Burger King Doug, and, and then there's Comic Book Doug. <laughs> and Doug, we were talking about Captain America once, and one of the guys that worked for him, he he didn't care for Cap. Younger. What? Yeah, I know. That's kind of like not liking. Well, because he's unpowered. You know, think he thought he was weak. He obviously doesn't get Cap because, as Doug and I were talking about it, the thing about Cap is, in the end, he's always going to win because he can do this all day. Because he can do this all day. Oh yeah, I love that line. Yeah, absolutely love that line. Yeah. So, and it's not that he's the most powerful; he's the most determined. Yes. He he is the one whose cause is almost always going to be the most righteous, uh, especially if he's well written. So when you look at Endgame. I think that's just a great example, the best example in the movies of this, because he's literally fighting against the end of everything. Yeah, because Thanos, Thanos is going to reboot the universe, so he's literally fighting for everybody who has ever lived or ever will live in that timeline. And so the stakes don't get any bigger <laughs> than that. That's right. And of course, you know, he's he's just a kid from Brooklyn. In this context, I mean, that's literally the best way to put it, because. He's sure he's super strong. He's got lightning fast reflexes, and he's well trained and all that. So he's he's the epitome of human physical perfection. Yeah, and he's you know master strategist. I mean, mentally, physically, he's the bomb. Very well experienced and combat tested. Exactly, and so he's a natural leader, and 
at the end, you know, the person he picks up the hammer. Yeah, I knew you were gonna go there. I the best it. thing. Yeah, it is because if there's anybody worthy to, to wield the hammer besides Thor, it's Cap. That's right, bar none. Because you know, in the comics, we've already seen that Cap can pick up the hammer, and oddly enough, Cap doesn't change. Other people who pick up the hammer, there's been a handful. They change into a version of Thor, like the you know Beta Ray Bill. He gets right. the Thor outfit. Right. Jane Foster, yeah. Jane Foster. Cap does change. That's coming in the movies, too. Yes, it is. Uh, Love and Thunder, I think, is the, it is. the, the subtitle. Uh, but Cap doesn't change. He's already the epitome That's correct. of the hero. So I think that is a great thing that they've done, that he wields it. He even wields the lightning yeah. like Thor does. So he gets all of Thor's abilities. Right. But he's still himself. Mm-hmm. So him picking up that hammer, first of all, is just the most... Incredible spot in the movie. Everybody loved it. Everybody cheers. That's right. But pays forward what Anthony Hopkins spoke in the very first Thor movie. Whosoever holds this hammer, yes. may be worthy, shall possess the power of Thor. And then he throws it into the abyss. Well, in many respects, this is the culmination of that. It is. And the other thing that is shows the, her- the heroics is basically Thanos' army has landed. Everybody's been defeated. Even Cap's shield has been shredded. And... It's at the lowest point. He's basically, you know, he's gets back up, says the line, I can do this all day. That's right. He tightens the strap on what's left of his shield. And yeah. just as he's about to go and die. Yes. Because he's, he's willing to do it. He's not going to run away. You hear the static and you hear the, on your left. Yeah. And everybody shows up. And that's when everything turns for, for Thanos. But, you know, you can see that revives him. Mm-hmm. And he leads them. In battle, and they're waiting on him he's to the give ultimate, the word. He's the ultimate extrovert. He gains power, influence, and strength from those he surrounds himself with. Well, yes, but he's also the ultimate introvert because he doesn't need that. Because introvert doesn't mean that you're quiet and you want to be alone. Right. It means you don't need other people to give you a charge. True. So, to me, he's the balance of both of those. And when, you know... When they all come in and they're they're all assembled and they're all waiting, they're waiting on one thing for him to give the word. Yeah. So he calls the hammer, brings it in, big Avengers, and then the quiet assemble, which I was a little, yeah, but the more I think about it, I like it because it's very subtle. And they all go off and on his word. Right. You've got gods and demigods and the most powerful beings in the universe. You're following this guy. He's just a man. Kid from Brooklyn. Just a kid from Brooklyn. And he is, by default, the leader. It's not Stark no. at this point. It's no. Cap. Right. It's not Thor. And to it's me, not Marvel. It, right. Well, she's not even there yet, because she's not. She comes in uh, after this point. Yeah. Right. And so, to me, that's what Endgame got right about Cap. Yeah. Is he's the one everybody's going to follow when there's no hope, because he's the one who's going to give it to you. That's what makes him the most heroic to me. Well, good. That's what I wanted to do. I wanted to make sure we pulled that out of this. Is you know what? It's not just that it's such a great character, but specifically to you, Robert. What was it about Cap that you find so heroic? So I'm glad you 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 went through that. That's terrific stuff. Terrific. Yeah. I, you know, he's always been one of my favorites. Always. Amen to that. Yeah. It's a, he's a he's better than Batman. And, you know, a lot of folks would find that understandable, and other people would be upset by that. 
but they're, they're really, in many respects, they're kind of at the top of their game in, in two different companies. Uh, Batman is a very dark and different character. He also doesn't give up. He doesn't. And he also finds a way to win. They share a lot of traits. That's right. That's why I wanted to make sure we kind of talk a little bit about that. But Batman is... He's almost he's not quite an anti-hero in the sense of like a Punisher. Right. But he's a dark hero. Right. Because he's, he's damaged. He's he's far more damaged than right. Cap is. Cap is Cap has every reason to be damaged. But he never is. But he never is, because he never gives yeah, in to that. Batman is not willing to have people follow him. He does not wish to be responsible for what happens to them. They both have Yet he has. I mean, you know, he's sure. got his Robins. Right. Uh, and very, he has this, very reluctantly. Yeah, they Cap both does have. Not worry the, about. That, yeah, Cap does not worry about the consequences if you follow him, because he understands it's your free will making that decision. If if something happens, that person made that decision. I didn't do it, and that's a leap that Batman can't always make. Well, and to steal Francis's thunder, <clears throat> you know the difference there is as. Jean-Luc Picard would put it, if our cause is just, then it is a good day to die. That's correct. That's that very much... It's a bit so. of a paraphrase, but... No, that's, a, that's right. But it's essentially if, the, well, the point. If, if, if the cause is just and honorable, they, and are, honorable, they yes. are prepared to give their lives. Are you prepared to do the same today, Tomalock? And as he says, I expected more from you than, than an idle threat, Picard. And of course he says... You shall have it. That's right. That's when the Klingons decloak, <laughs> Klingon warships armed and ready... And shall we die together? We just you know, and there it goes. That's that one a, of those great Star Trek. That moments. is uh, Next Generation, third season or second season? Third, uh, season. third, third season, season. The Defector, the Defector. Uh, written by Ron D. Ron D. Moore. Uh, one of his probably his one of his best he ever did. Yeah. But uh, that was early in his career uh, as a writer. There he. Uh, it That's doesn't get any better, folks. The Defector is one of my very it, favorite. If you if you uh, never watch any episodes. other Star Trek: the Next Generation, if you've never watched it, start there. It's a great episode for a lot of reasons. Um, cinematically, it's great because, you know, there's that throwaway line about, Mr. Worf, I want you to do something for me. Uh, contact the security officer of the Klingon ship such and such that yes. you just hear in the background. And, of course, we it's all missed it. It's a throwaway. We don't think anything of and it. So you don't think anything uh, that's going to happen. You think it's the Enterprise against those warbirds. Yeah. And then, all of a sudden... They're they're you know, they're, they're, they're the ones that you realize yeah. you've been fooled. This has been laid in front of your nose the whole time, and you missed it. And that's good, it was awesome. That's good writing. That's that fantastic writing. writing. And uh, I'll definitely give uh, Rondi Moore uh, a whole lot of credit. For okay, that. so we've done our trick. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. And I had to bring it up. Uh, well, you're correct. Well, you you started it. I, I did. I just, did. You know, uh, you know, we're gonna uh, have well, to go. You know, we normally don't get this far into an episode without some kind of track reference. That's, yeah, so, that's very true. but that just shows you how great Steve Rogers is. That's right. We didn't even need Star Trek references. That's correct. We, we used did. them, but we didn't need them That's, to get this far. You are exactly correct, sir. Fantastic. No. So, is there is there a scene or a, an issue in the comics that gives you that same epitome of what it means to be Cap that I talk about from Endgame? Ooh, boy. I mean, tell you. Well, I really, I mean, and we all come from a certain era, of course, but we kind of went back and got through. There's some really great stuff. i tell you my favorite okay. picture... Was uh, Jack Kirby's picture when he, in Tales of Suspense, this is before our time actually, but uh, when uh, Jack, uh, when when Kirby was, when Kirby brought back Cap in the Avengers, he was soon after that given his own 
ser- solo series. He was another, well shared it with shared it with Iron Man and Tales of Suspense because of a of a, a production deal that uh, Marvel had at the time that could only produce so and distribute so many books. So they they had some shared stuff. That's another story. Uh, Cap and Iron Man shared a book, uh, and Kirby immediately, of course, it was his character, uh, drew the art for that series. And before long, they went for a while in the norm, but they went back to World War Two. Yes, did a lot issue. of World War II stuff. They did a whole World War II stuff, which is basically new stuff, kind of going back a little bit, but mostly they weren't the same stories. There's a scene when they uh, in the splash page of that first issue, you know the one I'm talking about, where when they went to World War II, Captain America holds up his shield, and Bucky's running behind him, and he's got his foot on the Nazi flag. Uh, and they, you know, A new era is beginning, Captain America in World War II. And it was like the, the living sentinel of freedom. Mm-hmm is here. I always remembered that. A, it's Primo Kirby. It's a beautiful picture. But I'm thinking, that's Captain America. He is battle-tested on the field, not willing to accept defeat. The star and the stripes in, of his shield is writ, wrote, has been raised high, and the swastika has been trampled. You know, this, of course, Kirby's a World War II veteran. Yes. He's channeling, he's channeling, he's channeling a lot of that. And it was published in the 60s, but it still holds much meaning for us even today, 50 years later. Yeah. If you had to pin me down, what's your favorite Cap scene? It's that page. Interesting. Interesting. Very but you nice. have one too, I'm sure. Oh my gosh, from the comics, you know, there, there's just so much. One of my favorites, because again, this is kind of analogous to the Endgame. It's issue 177 of The Avengers, where he's fighting Korvac who is oh, a nearly right. omnipotent oh, being. Oh, I love the that. Michael yes. Saga. The Michael Saga, Saga. Love yes. Stuff. Some of the best Avengers work ever, ever done. And yes. so, you know, Cap being... George Perez uh, did... No, he did a lot of the covers and a lot of the issues before that, but Dave Wenzel did the interiors. Yes, that, that, that is that, correct. That yes. You're right. Yes. So, uh, it's amazing how, you know, full of useless knowledge I am yeah. But Perez did do a lot of the issues leading up to that. Yes, that is correct. Was, that yeah, he was... Just listeners, he's another great comic creator that we're... Big fans of Kirby right. and Simon, and he, we talked he about drew Joe a lot Sennett of Fantastic Fours. He did a, a, a lot of Avengers, a lot of Avengers, some, some great series. artwork. Wonder yes. Woman, he did a lot of great stuff on. That. I mean, we could go on. Justice League, all of them. Yes. So, um, in that, you know, Cap's kind of held back a bit because they're basically fighting in this guy's living room in uh, in his house, right? Forest Hills, Queens. Forest Hills, yes. <laughs> that's right. Because exactly. they're trying to find, you know, trying to find this guy. And all their clues have led him here. Yeah, he's an omnipotent being, mind you. Yeah, he's uh, hiding he, out in Forest Hills. Yeah, he, he looks like a regular guy. He's got a wife who, who herself is the daughter of a of a celestial of the collector, of the collector, collector exactly. Yes. Uh, who we've seen in the MCU, uh, and he's he's not he's unable to live the quiet life like he's trying to. He still is this evil, manipulative. Well, he's evil, manipulative, kind of in a way, at least in this issue in the way you're going to talk about Doom next time. That's correct. That's exactly because right. Because he sees it as he can make it better. That's right. But he's, he's using horrible to, means yeah, to do Yeah, he's it. trying to release humanity from the whims of reality. Yes. I think that's the way he frames it. So, you know, he takes down everybody. You know, all the big guns. Uh, kills a lot of the Avengers. Actually kills them. Yeah. And in the end, it's basically Cap is left. And so Michael is depowered. 
because uh, he's you know you see him and he's got this orange and yellow um, glowy stuff around yeah, him and he's been beaten so hard by several and I forget it who it oh, is that yeah. Thor has pounded on him Wonder Man has pounded on him he, they, he's taken a beating yeah but yeah. he's he shrugged it off really that's right the Thor is the only Thor and Moondragon the only ones that live at the end yes uh, and he's Thor's been pushed aside and Cap is basically finds his moment he does so when when Michael depowers. And he's he's lamenting having to kill all of the Avengers because he saw the nobility in them. And it's when he's depowered that Cap strikes. Cap strikes. Yeah. And so when he's in this human form, Cap nearly beats him. Yeah, he almost kills him, which is something Steve Rogers won't do, but he almost does. And Michael makes the comment in it that, you know, you've hurt me worse than anybody. Right. Of all the of all the ones here, you're the only one that's actually hurt me. Yes. And that I thought was just a to me that was just a great cap moment. And, and of course he 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 powers back up again and he and he kills him. He kills yes. Steve Rod. Now, just so you all know, the the killing obviously does not take. Right. Because as Korvac Michael ends up dying in this this at issue, the very end. Uh, mainly because he gives up. They don't really defeat him. He gives up. Yeah. And as he dies, he restores to life all those he had killed. The only like I said, the only one that actually survives him is Thor. And Moondragon. Uh, Moondragon, Moon Dragon, doesn't fight. she doesn't fight. She just kind of steps aside. Because she realizes what he was trying to do and so, kind of supported it. You know, it was a whole neat storyline. It runs from, what, 164 or something like well, that? Well, actually, some you could say some of it started earlier than that because um, there's these bits where Thor kind of pops in and out. Yeah. And that's the collector doing that. And that's the collector and doing that's it. And that's the only evidence of evil that the Avengers have is that the collector disappears before they're in front of their faces, right. after telling them, I'm trying to preserve well, he's you. Well, down. Yeah, yeah he's he, struck he's down. actually killed. The, the collector is telling all of them, I was trying to preserve you to face this enemy. Well, yeah, and then he's and that's killed. the only thing the Avengers have to go right. on. Well, the Guardians of the Galaxy have come back into this. Uh, they don't realize that Korvac is, is, is Michael. Is this Michael. Michael oh, yeah. We're, we're way in the weeds in a, in a group. This is one of my few, like these guys here are listeners. They know all of this stuff from like episode whatever you know, issue one, but this is the meat of when I was like 12 and 13 and really following the comics. Well, so it still is one of the stories. very best stories ever yeah. done, and it was uh, uh, it was some fantastic stuff. Uh, it was, because uh, it bridges and fights I, with Count Nefaria and... I cannot remember the writer. Ultron. Uh, shoot and, me. Uh, actually, I think that might have been Shooter. I, I, that's, that's exactly where I was going. I thought it was Jim Shooter, which uh, God bless him for all the great things that he's done. Uh, he he was a, a, a great comic book um, apologist and power at one point. He's, he's a fascinating guy. He really I got is. to talk to him for about twenty minutes one on one at a con a couple of years ago, and he started writing comics at fourteen. Yeah, <laughs> editor, editor in chief shortly around this time. Uh, yes. And Avengers is still a primo book, and to have him actually writing it, he deserves a lot of credit for some really great stories. And this is just one of them. He got a little whimsical in his decrees and a little crazy with some of the stuff that he was. Uh, that went back and forth, and but he's responsible for a lot of the really good stuff. Yeah, in our and he's he's a guy that's like you have this little episode in the middle of a book, and you're like, well, where does that tie to? Well, it doesn't tie until ten issues later, the whole next year. Yeah, of and, run, I, and, and I don't you know. remember if he wrote all of those or not. I have to go back and look those. I can remember yeah. the artists a lot easier than I can the writers, right? Because the visual works right works that way. But um, you know, still, it was just it was great stuff. And he got Cap, you know? Yeah. And that was the thing. And I think a lot of what he did in that whole 
that whole idea of you could draw these things out across these multiple issues and that you didn't have to have closure at the end of an issue. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Then inspires the MCU and inspires Kevin, how do we pronounce his name? Feige? Uh Yeah. 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 You know... Because he's the keeper of the of the flame, right? As far as the MCU go, he's the guy that's no, don't do that. Yes, do this. Well, he, he's that forming works. the editor in chief role, which ironically, Shooter was doing very, right. very well because he was able to do this not just across one book, but across multiple books because it is a yeah. shared universe. Yeah, and he he actually gave some chutzpah to the concept of you're not contradicting yourself. From in this series versus this series, they're yes. actually tied together. Yeah, which of I mean, course there was always a, a, from already a, bus- a lot of that stuff going on. From a business model, it makes a lot of sense because you know if once the once you realize, wait a minute, it's not the same here. You don't account for this. The mask is gone, and you may not be picking up all the issues they put out, but only a select ones. Right. Well, you know, you want all your fans to pick up all your books. Right. And you know, and to be fair, there was already that kind of stuff going on. It was. He was he was he was very good at making sure. First in a, in a or the last in a long line of very short term editor in chiefs. Archie Goodman was really good. He was right before him. He was. He he still didn't last very long at Roy Thomas was editor in chief. Uh, Jerry Conway was editor in chief. I think uh, Len Wine, I think, also had a, yeah. a, a stint Cre- as editor-in-chief. Creator of Swamp Thing, for all you that may be following. And, and the new X-Men. That's correct. That's uh, right, yes. Even though uh, Claremont's the one who took over the writing after that. Um, so, but he was the first he one just, after Stan Lee to stick for a long time. Uh, Len Wine just passed away, actually, like last year, I think it was. Yes. Yeah, it's, yes. Uh, it's some... Oh, speaking of those who passed, uh, last time we were together and recording, we talked about the great Joe Sinnott. And we talked about, uh, he's known primarily as an inker to today's audience. And I said, you know, I'm sure he's done penciling, but I just don't know it. Did a lot of penciling in the 40s and 50s. Right. I was doing some recent reading on that. So I just want to, you know, if anybody says, you can get Jin Yang comics. Well, that 40s and 50s stuff is a little bit before my time. Yes. So, you know, give me a break. Yeah. We, yeah. we try to do the very best by these folks who have, these are creative souls. And even if you're not into comics, you have to love somebody who is good at their artistic craft. That's that. That's one of the reasons you know, we pull out some good. Yeah, that's become about a regular feature a regular, of this podcast. Regular theme is, is appreciating appreciating the creators. Yes, the artistic, not, not just craft the character, not not just getting balled up into the character, but really understanding that writers, pencilers, the Act, artists, actors, the actors, yeah. the directors. That's where a lot of this is coming from. Oh, yeah. and we want to appreciate them. Very much. So. That's kind of a regular theme of ours because we'll we'll talk about John Milius, John Wayne, Charlton yeah. Heston, and well, uh, and the creators. It's not even just the Ron Moore. Typical Ron Moore. creators uh, in terms of you know acting, writing, uh, directing, musicians, and, and uh, uh, graphic artists. Anybody who creates something new, you create a new product, mm-hmm. create a new business, whatever. To me, that's all part of that's all creativity. It is. It is. It's, it's very much the, creative. Uh, the creative impulse to uh, to me is a reflection of God within us. Yes, absolutely. Ooh, well absolutely. Said, absolutely. Well kind of, that is something that is uh, that is unique to humanity, and it is it comes from God. There's no question in my mind. Now, our atheists, we can argue the existence, but nevertheless, you can't argue the spark wherever it comes from. Well, that's, that's a very interesting theological point because we do that, don't obviously. We? Yes. There is no creation without God. Well, that is correct. Uh, in fact, the creativity, is, that, the creativity we, we have comes from our creator. 
uh, yes. as the source, the part of the mover being to made steal in the image. Exactly, in the image you, and likeness. That, the image and likeness that is not is just not outward. It's that in fact, it is not, it's not outward at all. To be that's honest, right. it's entirely the internal. Uh, that's right. The way I like to talk about when I explain this uh, to, to others that, that don't know, you know, others RCIA or whatever. Image and likeness is about the ability to think mm-hmm. and to choose. So and that's create. the reflection. Well, that's the, the thinking and the choosing that's that right, is exactly. expressed in the creativity. That's exactly right. Because you have to think about what you're going to do and the doing, the acting. It's one of the reasons uh, the, of the sacredness of being a parent. Because by, yes. by conceiving children, you are participating in that creative act in, its, Very much in so. one of its highest levels. I, I would argue that it is the highest level. Yes. I, because it is the closest to uh, the life of the Trinity that man will ever achieve. Mm-hmm. Where uh, you have that total giving of oneself to the other, which is with the love between the father and the son. That's right. Uh, which is so real for a human that nine months later you have to give it a name. <laughs> that's that's right. That's that is that and is start the, saving for college. Right. And start, yeah. <laughs> that is the intention. That is the standard. That's where we're reaching it. We don't always reach there, of course. But that's well, where we're that we're, that's where we're supposed to. We, we try. Well, we got to stop because we're running over time. We, we've I'm sure. turned comic books now into. Uh, there's a specific kind of theology this is, right? There's there's like a term for this part of theology, right? I cannot remember. Um, is it Christology? Well, or is that no, not, not really. Christology. I mean, you might say that that there's a little bit of systemic theology in this because uh, it's foundational. Yeah, uh, foundational but, theology is probably is pretty good. Uh, um, it's create. Uh, um, it's. Steve Rogers and, is a Christ-like figure. What this is, yeah. Oh yes, absolutely. Oh, that, Almost all superheroes are Christ-like figures uh, when they are at their best. Superman is the ultimate Christ-like figure. Yeah. Jor-El gives his only son to yeah. humanity to yeah. save them. And Stark becomes the Christ figure then at yes. the end of Endgame. So, well, but we've got to stop. I mean, that's wow. We, yeah, we, Which is ironic, considering that so many of these characters were created by Jewish men. Well, right. I mean, Siegel and Schuster created Superman. They're both Jewish. That's right. So, but it just shows you that those are common themes to our common theological common, background. Yes, a Judeo-Christian culture. Cultural background of the Latin West. A plug for Tom Holland's new book, Dominion, that I'm about a third of the way through, is discussing this very thing. But, Francis, buddy, what is next? Uh, well, in many respects, it's going to be similar. We're going to shift gears, though, because we've talked about perhaps the greatest hero in comic books, arguably. We will definitely talk about, next time, the greatest villain, not just in comic books, but in my opinion, of all time. And as we know, heroes sometimes are only best when shown with great villains. We're going to talk about the greatest villain that has ever been created, in my opinion, and we can take pot shots at it if we want to, Victor Von Doom. Awesome. Doctor Doom, created by uh, Stan Lee, Jack Kirby, Fantastic Four number six, way five, back. Five, five. Excuse me. That's <laughs> right. I knew that. I just came right out. Uh, but wow, you want to talk about a great villain? We're going to explore that deeply next yeah. time. He is the Terrific. gold standard. Please join us. Terrific. Thanks for being with us here every week at Snakes and Otters, a pointless discussion of eternal questions. Be sure to spread the word on your social media accounts. Follow us and retweet us. We are on Instagram and on Twitter at Snakes and Otters. Let your friends know that they can find us on Podbean, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, and on YouTube. 
Just search Snakes and Otters Podcast to find us. And please, remember to leave us your comments and reviews. It helps people find us. And you can always send us an email at snakesandotterspodcast at gmail.com. I'm Martin. I'm Robert. And I'm Francis. Catch us next week. Same snake time, same otter channel.